Hello my guys, my gals, and my non-binary pals. Welcome along to today's episode of the Peter Greenwood Show at the Edinburgh Fringe 2021. My name is Peter Greenwood and coming up we are bringing you interviews with three people who are doing three shows at the Edinburgh Fringe. So let's get started with Will Pickvance. Could I start by asking you your name and what you do please? Yes, I'm Will Pickvance and I'm a piano player and a storyteller and an inventor of and, I don't know, curator of uh, yarns. <laughs> That's the best title I think I've ever heard, curator of, curator of yarns. It's so good I can't yeah. even say it. <laughs> I can't, I've never said it before in my life, but it kind of it works, doesn't it? That's, that's a good one for the, C, the top of the CV, creator of yarns. Okay. That's a good one. How are you this curator. morning, Will? Are you well? I'm great, thanks, Peter. Yes, thank you. Yeah, feeling good. That's good. So we were saying a little bit off air, one show down... A couple more to go. How are you feeling after the first show? Oh, well, it's, it's just great to be back in the theatre, as I'm sure anyone you speak to who's playing it will tell you. It's, you know, we've been doing all kinds of things on Zoom, and online, and, and trying to keep going and, and keep engaging with audiences and keeping connect, connections and things. But this is, it's just great to be back and uh, um, see see people's faces in the audience and, and hear applause. It's quite strange, actually, you forget that, people like to interact as you're going along and it took a bit of getting used to actually yeah i'm kind of afraid for the next time i go to a gig or a show because i haven't applauded for so long so it's going to be like yes. how do i do this again i can't remember excellent <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the show what's it called the show is called first piano on the moon First Piano on the Moon, and what is the show about? Where's it? What's its origins, and what's it about? Well, the the story is is a kind of conflation of uh, events that happened to me in my own life, with a little bit of um, invention, shall we say, on top. It's a story of a a boy who uh, loves playing the piano, and he's uh, known in his school for playing the piano, but he's also gets very bad school reports and isn't uh, isn't particularly doing very well otherwise but then he he has this dream that one day he'll play a big concert but doesn't really put any work into what what might happen if he did find himself in that situation but then the school decide that they're going to send him to Salzburg to play in a big fancy concert for Mozart's birthday celebration and so suddenly he finds himself totally out of his depth with with a few other children who who are very accomplished and very um, well prepared for this gig, and so he panics and uh, he he uh, goes on a little mission in within Salzburg and comes across Mozart, and who guides him through um, ideas and things to help him get on the stage and get through the concert the next day. So that's that's the story. Fantastic. Where did the idea come from? I, I noticed that the main character is called William, and you mentioned it's a little bit of a semi-autobiographical kind of... Yeah, it, it, it is autobiographical. I mean, I suppose in the respect that... Um, yeah, I mean, like like the character in the, the play, you know, I, I was a kind of daydreaming kid who, who got reports which weren't particularly you know impressive. It was the sort of thing that your parents would give you trouble for but then um, I also did play the piano and I was known for this kind of thing but I was a procrastinator and I knew that uh, uh, I used to kind of duck out of 
of experiences, you know, things that would, would challenge you. So if there was a big concert, I would probably, um, yeah, I'd, I'd wing it. I'd get through by doing tricks and uh, and entertainment stuff rather than the hard work and graft. But also when I was a kid, I used to find that uh, pianos seemed to always be barred and shut up and things like in school schools, you often would see a piano, you weren't allowed to play it. Or if you went into a concert hall, the piano would be locked or whatever. And we were in Salzburg. I was in Salzburg as a kid, and I managed to set this burglar alarm off trying to play Mozart's piano. And I thought, that's kind of a great metaphor for for, for that, everything I've been doing, really, sort of uh, being chased chased away for sort of doing, for playing the piano. So uh, that was the starting point for the story, yeah. And how long did it take to come up with the idea from the story to getting it into being a, a finished piece for audiences? Yeah, well, it's one of those things where I probably spent about three or four months writing lots of different iterations and ripping them up. And then about a week before the first performances, I, I kind of wrote it very quickly then. It was a much, much easier sort of thing. It became more clear what I was doing. But then we developed it because I did it initially in 2019 and it was semi-finished, I suppose. And then we developed it, I developed it with Horse Cross, um, a theatre in Perth with Lou Kemp, the director. And she gave me some steer on the story as well. So we, we tweaked the story as well and gave it, gave Mozart a bit more of an air. And so, yeah, we, so I guess the, it was written in two stages, the story. Yeah. And again, we were talking a little bit off air before we began. What's it like to be back in a venue? I can, I as I as I said off air for the listeners who weren't here when we were off air. I can hear in the background there's a kind of echo. So you're in some kind of venue. Whereabouts are you at the moment? And what's it been like seeing an audience back? Well, yeah, I'm um, in the conference center in um, which is uh, in. In Edinburgh, so it's, it's a Pleasance venue, but it's it's actually normally the the conference centre. So it's it's a huge space, and which means that we can fit people in and still have the social distancing, and, and audiences can feel safe and things like that. So, um, but it's yeah, it, it's actually once the lights go down, it, it feels it feels like like normal. You can see the audience a little bit, and and you can hear them reacting, and so. Actually, it's it's a great step back to normality, I'd say. It must be a fantastic step back to normality after yeah, everything yeah. that's happened over the last 18 yeah, months or so. it's very encouraging, yeah. And what's been the reaction like from the audiences? What's been the feedback? Well, I've just done the one show, um, and I had some some nice comments. <laughs> I, I had a lot, of, a lot of children in the audience. I mean, it's a family show, uh, so lots of kids there, and I hear a lot of them saying, "Oh, he must have at least grade twelve on the piano." <laughs> of course, I don't know if, if you know about pianos; the grades only go up to eight. That's what I was so going to ask I, because I'm not—I don't know anything about. I, music. I thought that was quite funny. I mean, it's just kind of—it's, a, 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 I suppose, a, um, a kid's way of uh, expressing kind of. Uh, I don't know, a skill or something. I thought it was a funny way of putting it. Oh, it's like um, the piano version of "Turn It Up to 11? Yeah, yeah, exactly. There we go. Okay, yeah, I'm exactly. with you now. Uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for for translating that. <laughs> and uh, no, it just uh, kids saying, "Oh, I want to go home and practice." So I mean, 
I, I think the, the thing about the story is it, it's really about trying to find your own way of doing it. Because my, I've never been a, a classical player, really. I've always been an improviser and I've enjoyed messing around with pieces and music and having fun with the, the entertainment side of it. And I think whatever your approach is to music, you find your own way in and that's really what the show is about. So I'd, I'd hope that anyone that sees it would feel, you know, that it would encourage them or um, inspire them to keep going and carry on. How fantastic to hear that children are wanting to go home and learn to play and probably a few adults yeah. as well. Like They've probably got like a well, keyboard so. in a closet somewhere. They pull it out yeah. and just sit and noodle with it. Dig, yeah, dig it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, or, you know, yeah. The, the piano has been covered in books and all kinds of stuff for yeah. years. Yeah, dust it down. Yeah, I think uh, it's never too late, is it? And also, the thing is, you can get enjoyment very, very quickly. It, it, you know, as you get into it, you don't need to be playing complicated pieces to to enjoy playing. Even if you're just playing for yourself, it's uh, it's a great thing to do. Yeah, and it must be very therapeutic as well, especially what everyone went through last year did you yeah. find that when you were putting the show together that it was therapeutic for you i very much so and also i mean because i've been just previous to the the, the pandemic i've been doing a lot of touring and so and you know i'm doing the same show a lot and you kind of fall out of love with playing because you're doing the same pieces over and over and it becomes a bit more administrative and then during the lockdown, I was able to just have time playing again and on my own practicing. And I really remembered why I play in the first place, what I love about it. So it was kind of like going back to being a kid when I was just sitting at the piano noodling when I got home from school. So it, it was that was actually quite nice. It felt like I was almost back in the in the land of where the show is set. That sounds fabulous. Very good, but that just sounds cool and like just something yeah. fun after everything that's happened. Just, just fun. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. And and but then doing the show on Zoom again, I was um, I was really quite taken by how we could make something which is you know quite austere in a way. You know, everybody's on the end of a screen, but we made it feel inclusive. It felt very much like everybody had arrived for an occasion and that we all sat together having fun. It's like a sort of old fashioned salon or something. You could see all these faces, you know, in those little postage stamp pictures, mm -hmm. people sat at their kitchen tables and sat on couches and um, it was a really nice atmosphere. So there were some nice moments of, of dealing with that weird period. So, yeah. This is the voice of Will Pickvance. Did I say that correctly? Pickvance? That's perfect, yeah. Fantastic. It, spell it. I'm always so pleased when I get people's names correct. It's such a small <laughs> thing, and it's kind of like one of the two things a radio presenter has to do, but you'd be surprised how <laughs> many times. What's, the other, the, what's the other thing? The other thing is we have to be able to tell the time. Oh, right, okay. So, that, okay. so we have to be able to be like, it's 12 minutes past three, here's Kesha, that kind of thing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but this is the voice of Will Pickvance. He is here to talk about his show. It is called The First Piano on the Moon. Will, where can people find out about you online? Um, I suppose if you Google Will Pickvance, you yeah, my website will come up. But also, if you're looking for tickets for the show, um, the show First Piano on the Moon, and they're available on the Fringe website. Um, so yeah, and the, yeah, 
I think Google is as good as anywhere. Yeah. yeah, Google is Google will get you get you there. The show is called The Google. First Piano on the Moon. Thank you so much for your time today, Will. Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me. Nice to speak. Will Pick Vance is playing First Piano on the Moon from the twelfth to the fifteenth of August at the Pleasance at EICC Cromdell Theatre. Could you start by telling me your name and what you do, please? Okay, yeah, my name is Frederick Brandes, and I'm a um, singer and actor. And I, yeah, and I wrote a musical. How are you today, Freddie? Are you well? Freddie or Frederick, by the way? Which, which do you prefer? I, I don't mind either. Freddie's perfectly fine. Freddie, excellent. I always like to make sure and just double check. Uh, so how are you today? You well? Yes, I'm, I'm, I'm very well. Yes, thank you. Let's talk about the show you're doing. It is called Alex. Tell us about Alex. What is this show? So um, it's basically six passengers on a train conductor uh, get stuck on a train that breaks down somewhere uh, in, in, in modern day times, in modern non-pandemic times. Well, that's an idea that's older than the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and... <laughs> um, and yeah, so they, they find themselves stuck with each other, different people from different backgrounds, and um, they uh, develop different kinds of friendships and ways of getting along with each other. That sounds really interesting. Where did the idea come from? What's its origin story? Um, that's a good question. I've always wanted to write something about trains with a train in it. Uh, I, I'm not quite sure why. And, um, and I also wanted to write something that that would fit well on the fringe that's um that's small enough to fit into any size venue in any 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 area with 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 little to no set and props and so i got the idea of um yeah just just having different people together in a small space in a confined space having to deal with each other see in this day and age and in these trying times, that sounds like a really interesting idea, like getting all these people together and having different discussions from different people in different ways of life. How did you get that onto the page and then from the page into the hands of the actors? Um, well, I'm, I mostly just, just drew on experiences. I, I had myself, I did a, um, I did a, I studied for a year in, in Glasgow actually. And um, I met lots of different people and I got inspired to um, try to show with Hat, which has very different people um, come together. And so I had like, had like profiles of different people I've met and I thought, I'll turn this into characters for a show. And um, that's, how, that's how the characters came together. And then the story just, I just let the story unfold itself, see what happens. Was it difficult trying to write for six different characters and putting yourself into the the mindset of each of those people? Yes, it was. It was, um, it was actually. It was um, the writing itself wasn't wasn't that hard, but getting back later and writing lyrics for the characters, getting back into their heads again, and rediscovering new things that was, that was challenging at times because they were very a lot of the characters were very different to to myself. And uh, it's always easy to write characters that are very similar to, to what you, uh, the way you think and see the world. Yeah, it's always easier to write what you know than to take a dive into what you don't know, especially in, and I don't want to bring it down and be, and be a 
be down. But there's been a few issues, such as even before the pandemic, a couple of political issues out in the world, shall we say. What was that process like? Um, I, well, I think I, I think I've purposefully created a world which um, is uh, is exempt from all political and um, and uh, and otherwise um, dividing views. It's, it's a very apolitical show, and it's also um, it deals more with with the every, everyday problems that people have, and um, I think. In that situation, if you're stuck in a train somewhere and you don't know how long for, and you don't know what, what's what's going on, then um, the world outside of politics becomes a very, very distant problem. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Not forgetting it's a musical as well. What was it like writing music? Because I've said it before on this show, and I'll say it again: I don't know a thing about writing music. You. If you put a gun to my head and said, write me a song, you'd have to pull the trigger. I'd be done for. How did you write the music for this story? Where did that come from? Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm originally more of a musician anyway. I studied music in, uh, in uni a uh, few years ago. And um, so it was a lot easier. I think the easiest part for me was, was actually writing the music and not the lyrics and the text and the, the script um, because I, I found it a lot easier to, to just express myself through the music to bring in different ideas and uh, yes, that, that was just something you just, you just sit down someday and then you have an idea in your head and you sort of expand on it, sit at the piano and then, then it just grows and then you, pick, uh, then you put it back on the shelf for a few months, take it out again and then it's over the course of, I think it was 18 months now, it turned into a whole show. That's pretty remarkable, though. And is that what you spent your time in quarantine doing, putting this show together? Um, I, I finished the first draft, actually finished several drafts of the, um, of the script of what happens, and actually of the, the few first musical ideas too before, before anyone even heard of COVID. So... Um, I think I think the, the pandemic was more of a dampener than it was a driver for for creativity. Yeah. Um, but then I think I started I started working in earnest on it probably in autumn last year. And things were still starting to look up again. I thought I need I need something to look forward to. I want to do a fringe show, and um, yeah, and that's what came of it. And here you are at the fringe. Yes. Have you yes, ever been to, been I to Edinburgh? I was that's I, I have yeah. I, I, I've not made it to the Edinburgh Fringe before, unfortunately. Um I I missed it twice. Once uh, when I when I moved to Glasgow um, in 2019, I moved there the week it closed, and by the time I'd sort of figured out that I'd like to go there, it had just closed the right. day before or something. And then the next year, I was set on going, and then obviously it was cancelled. Twenty twenty is going to be a great year to go to the fringe. Let's do let's do that. Yes, uh, <laughs> that, that that worked out well. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, obviously this year, um, um, our venue decided to go digital again. So um, we still wanted to perform live. So we're now performing live in London and live streaming to the fringe, pretending we're in Edinburgh. 
And then for the last week of the Fringe, I'm going up to Edinburgh to actually see the Fringe in person. Oh, fantastic. You're actually going to come up. Yes, yeah, like, I have to. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to have a great time. I love the Fringe. The first, although I'm not too far away from you. The first time I ever went to the Fringe, born and bred in Scotland, lived here my whole life. The first time I ever went to the Fringe was in 2019. And it was mind-blowing. It was not, there's nothing else on earth like the Edinburgh Fringe. So you're going to have a great time. Yeah. <laughs> this is the voice of Freddie Brandies. Did I say that right? Yeah. Fantastic. This is the voice of Freddie Brandies. He is here to talk about his show. It is called Alex. It is on at the Edinburgh Fringe. Where can people find out more about you and the show online? So, um... We have an Instagram page and a Facebook page, um, which are both Alex Musical 2021. And, um, and we are to be listed on the fringe listing, but uh, yeah, there have been technical issues that we couldn't get shows online yesterday. Um, so perhaps before the first show tonight. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, thank you so much for your time today. It was really good to speak to you. Yes, oh, thank you. Thank you. My absolute pleasure. It's great being here. Alex is streaming from the 9th of August. It's a pay-what-you-can show, and you can search for Alex at tickets.edfringe.com. Could I start by asking your name and what you do, please? Yes, uh, my name is Rachel Mariner. I am a playwright, and I'm also a lawyer, but mostly a playwright for today. I would be very curious to know, how does lawyer and playwright intersect? What is, how, how does that happen? What is that course like? It's a huge intersection because you, in both of the professions, you use words to make things happen, right? Like to get a response from an audience or to draw them into a narrative or to come to a binding agreement. And in some ways, it's sort of giving words as much muscle as possible. That's a Is good way of putting it. I've never thought of that. <laughs> so the first thing on a Friday morning. <laughs> I'm I'm getting schooled here. It's fabulous. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about the show. The name of the show is Recovering Misogynist. What is your show? Tell us about it. Okay. So we go back to 2017. It's October 15th. Um, I finished a show that had done quite well at the fringe called Bill Clinton Hercules, because I um in, I used to be a trial lawyer in Washington and I worked for, I was on Bill Clinton's defense team when he was sued by Paula Jones. And so I got a commission okay. to write a one-man bioplay about him. I'd written that and I was sort of, I, work, I was working on another project, but then the Weinstein stuff started happening. And the fact that I call it the Weinstein stuff is sort of a clue, like a form and substance clue, because I didn't call it like, um, the Me Too moment or the emerging feminist. Like in my mind, I just felt really sorry for Harvey Weinstein. And then I thought, why is that? Like what is going on inside of me that that's where my sympathy flows? That is the empathy. I don't have empathy for the victims. I have empathy for power. And so then I decided that I needed to unpack that. Um, and I hooked up with this great feminist poet named Hannah Jane Walker, and we created a show that was meant to be performed by an actress at the Park Theatre in London. The actress was stuck in LA though, and the Park Theatre closed down in COVID, and we turned it into an ex sort of experimental film, a sort of theatre project. 
And what was it like taking the project and converting it into this different format than it was originally intended? Was it a, was it a big challenge? Okay, so it was a challenge to trust people to because you know we hired a cinematographer to kind of create the visuals that went through it, and that it was a challenge to kind of. It's such a, it's sort of an autobiographical story and it's also a magical realist story, but it's intensely personal. And so trusting anybody to work on it that I didn't really know, that was a little bit hard. And I don't want to sound like a jerk, but that's just the kind of nature of the game, I think. And then I like having other people act out my words and sitting in the back and feeling grateful to them. And I don't like reading it myself. And I read it myself for purposes of this because the producer and the director, um, Caroline Horton's a real fringe veteran um, and she was my outside eye and sort of director. They liked the way that I read it. So I read it and I appear in the images and that was challenging because it's not really my shtick. It kind of makes you too vulnerable to tell a personal story and then see your own face. I can't, my confession, you know, this film has been to a bunch of schools and it had a showing at the junction and um, I haven't been able to sit through the whole thing myself, <laughs> but other people seem to like it. So That's something I wanted to ask about and I'm glad you brought it up because this is, this seems an incredibly personal story from what I've read about it. Like, the way you describe how you felt when all these allegations against Weinstein started coming out. What's it like to put that much of yourself out there and not have the, the cloak of having somebody else perform it? Yeah, it's like, you definitely feel nauseous and need to lay down. <laughs> it's okay though, you know what? And this is sort of explored in the show. Like I come from a nutty evangelical Christian background and the currency of interacting with people where you confess your sins, the sort of idea of a public confession, very much a part of my youth. So in some ways it's a format that I'm comfortable with. And I also think that like, it's sort of an artist's job and maybe a feminist's job, right? To hit that frontier inside of yourself and notice and be transformed by what you notice. And the challenge was to make that a visual piece, right? An interior transformation. Um, but I, I think that it accelerated the transformation, right? Like I think that it, it helped me kind of come to grips and be able to call out that internalized misogyny. Without giving away too much of a show because you want people to go and see it and you don't want to give it all away here. What do you find out about yourself? And how do you go on that journey? <laughs> just, so, that's just the entire show there, isn't it? Just <laughs> sort of like I really hit upon um, Bluebeard, Bluebeard's story, because it's the first story in Women Who Run With the Wolves, uh, the uh, sort of famous feminist work about sort of women's psyches. And I was really drawn to that. And so it's a telling and retelling of the Bluebeard story. And then um, we read Women and Power, Mary Beard's book uh, about basically the thesis of Mary Beard's book is um, women and power are mutually exclusive. <laughs> you know, that's the kind of the one sentence thing. And she sort of got, she's sort of connected to the junction and read it and sort of, I made her kind of a spirit guide. So I use Mary Beard and 
Bluebeard to kind of go on the journey. And what do I find? Like a lot of gross things. But I do think that like, we all have a lot of gross stuff inside of us, right? Like, and to be able to look at it and not let it defeat you and to not be blind to it is kind of the point of being human, maybe? Yeah. To sit, and tell your, to sit and tell your stories to other people and put them out into the world and say, this is how I see the world. Do you agree? Do you disagree? And then hear back from people like that. Right. And, and really, and, and maybe I skip ahead and go, the way that I see the world and I think you see the world kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a bit up and down the last few years, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was just last year that like literally the cities across the United States were burning with Black Lives Matter, right? Yes. Like people were yeah. fighting the cops every day in Portland. There is stuff inside us that needs to come out. Yeah, I've got a friend who's in New York and was actually at some of the New York rallies and I had her on the show to talk about what it was like and what was really happening out there because some of the scenes coming out in New York with the police were not not good. They were amazing. But I was in New York in May and I was in Washington Square Park around 11 at night and I saw something I hadn't seen before, which was, you know, there were kids in the park because there's no place else to go because of COVID at that point. And the cops were kind of like rounding them up under the cur curfew. And there were like a million Karens with their phones, like yelling at the cops and videotaping everything that happened. And I was like, the hostility toward the cops is like nothing I've ever seen before there. But I was excited that the Karens are on the case, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. This is the voice of Rachel Mariner. She is here to talk to us about her show. It is called Recovering Misogynist. Where can people see it online? It is streaming online, isn't it? It is. So if you go to the Ed Fringe website and search for Recovering Misogynist, or I can send you a link, Peter, if you want, that you can... I don't know if you have them near. The, the, so it's um, it's online on demand, which means you can buy it and watch it from anywhere. It's an hour and six minutes. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of well suited to the small screen, these kind of personal revelations. And, you know, the images, you can also just listen to it, you know, like while you're cooking or something. I sometimes think that it's easier to listen to things when you're doing something else, something physical, like folding laundry. This is a great yeah. folding laundry show. Yeah, but it's also a, a story that people will want to see and hear. Yeah, I think that you would like, like the cinematographer made some interesting choices with the images and in Cambridge in lockdown uh, with these abandoned streets and the crumbling buildings. It was great. Like it's got a sort of end of the world, apocalyptic, end of the patriarchy feel that I dig. It's been great to speak to you today. Thank you so much for your time. Well, thank you. Uh, it was a joy to be asked and it was fun to get to know you a little bit. Recovering Misogynist is streaming online from the 6th of August until the 31st. You can purchase a link to see it. Just go to tickets.edfringe.com and search Recovering Misogynist. And that is it for today's show. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you to my guests for joining me. I'll be back tomorrow with another brand new episode of the Peter Greenwood Show at the Fringe when we're actually going to the Fringe Festival. We will be there in person. It was a fantastic time. I can't wait for you to hear the content. So until then, my name's Peter Greenwood. Bye, every single buddy. Bye.